Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Hello, this is Michael Biamonte, Clinical Nutritionist. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Candida Chronicles. I do want to remind everyone that the first edition of the Candida Chronicles book is uh, scheduled at this point to be released and available for sale this coming May. And we will keep you informed if we're not able to meet that deadline. Today's topic is going to be leaky gut syndrome and how to interpret the leaky gut test. We're going to do a little on the background first of leaky gut. Leaky gut is a condition which is very confused. A great amount of people who write on the internet believe they have leaky gut who actually don't. And this is due to the failure of doing a leaky gut test. We often get patients who come to us who claim to have been treating their leaky gut for 10 years or so and not improve. And when we do the test on leaky gut for them, which they have never done, we find out they don't have leaky gut and they have been treating themselves for something they've never had. This is a very common issue. Leaky gut is a very specific condition, which occurs usually from either taking uh, certain medications, which damage the gut lining and tend to make the gut lining thinner and more porous in certain areas, or from having chronic intestinal inflammation and infections, such as parasitic infections or candida infections, which damage the gut and actually make the gut lining thinner and more porous and more permeable. Leaky gut is different than someone who has a perforation of the colon or a perforation of the intestinal tract. A perforation is more like a a gaping hole would be. This is not what leaky gut is. Leaky gut is where the area becomes damaged and leaky, somewhat more uh, along the line of what happened to the Titanic where the ship hit the iceberg, and when it did hit the iceberg, a lot of the bolts that hold the metal plates to the frame loosened, and it became leaky, as opposed to developing a huge singular gash, which would be more on the line of the perforation. So when someone develops leaky gut, there are certain common symptoms that they will develop. Usually, intestinal pain is not one of them. And many people think intestinal pain equals leaky gut, which it does not. Someone could have intestinal pain for numerous reasons, including constipation. Leaky gut is more aligned to the person having sensitivities, allergies, and intolerances more than anything else. The most common symptoms of leaky gut include all type of allergies, whether it's food allergies or airborne allergens, all types of chemical sensitivities or pollen sensitivities, 
sensitivities to chemicals, to metals, to various food ingredients, autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, um, hypothyroidism, which includes Hashimoto's disease. These are very common symptoms or conditions that are associated with leaky gut. Leaky gut causes the body to tend to attack itself because it's attacking substances which enter the bloodstream that normally would be prevented from entering. And in doing that, it would have a tendency to attack its own antibodies, its own hormones, its own glandular and uh, organic systems in the body because the system is now being aberrated. Leaky gut has been shown in our private research to adversely affect the parotid gland. The parotid gland is a small salivary gland which deals with antibody responses and antibody production. When one has leaky gut, it sort of misleads the parotid gland, and the parotid gland then fails to properly tag or identify substances that enter the mouth and enter the saliva uh, in order to tell the immune system whether this is a friend, something that's good, or something that needs to be attacked. Classic leaky gut syndrome is found when one does the lactulose mannitol recovery test. In the lactulose mannitol recovery test, we can identify three different types of leaky gut. This test was originally done in the late 70s, early 80s. And from the information I have, the test was originally used on patients with HIV and AIDS in order to determine the permeability of their intestines and, de and determine how susceptible they may be to microorganisms entering the bloodstream from the intestinal tract. It was then discovered that the test worked generally as a test for intestinal permeability. In using this test back in those days, it was discovered that the, the main difference, differentiation between the patient who was HIV and the patient who had AIDS was that he had developed leaky gut and his bloodstream was now essentially a camping ground for all types of harmful pathogens. There were a few articles and a few references back in those days which talked about the HIV-positive patient starting to develop a complex, let's say, of HIV types of infections, which then became noticeably increased when the person's permeability increased in their intestinal tract, which then allowed these infections to enter the bloodstream from the intestines. This was a hallmark in, in that day of uh, understanding the difference between HIV and leaky gut. The patient with leaky gut definitely has an outpouring, or, or I guess you'd call it an inpouring, of pathogens from the gut into the bloodstream, which could overwhelm the immune system. And it's a very significant turn in the tide in someone who's HIV, uh, as opposed to someone who has developed AIDS. Developing leaky gut is the pathway to move from HIV to AIDS in these, in these types of cases. There's more on this uh, if online if you look up the data. Uh, right now what we're going to do is cover the test, which is what our point today. 
Um, the test is very interesting because the test is based on understanding molecule absorption or the size of particle absorption from the intestinal tract into the bloodstream. There are two principal functions of the test. One is to observe the absorption of lactulose, which is a moderate size particle, let's say. Lactulose is a form of alcohol sugar which exists naturally in nature. It's a, it's a more moderate size. And there is a certain amount of it expected to be absorbed into your bloodstream. But generally speaking, it's, it's assumed that lactulose is not absorbed as standard sugar or other foods would be. Mannitol is a larger size particle. And in looking at mannitol, we're expecting a even less amount to be absorbed because it's a larger size. There is also a ratio which can exist between lactulose and mannitol that's looked at, which could give a clue as to a type of leaky gut, which is not a classic type. And the classic form of leaky gut, when you're looking at the test by Genova, the lactulose level will be expected to be above 1.50. When you're looking at that test, as I am right now, you'll see that that is a red area. That red area moving to the left, there is a yellow area occupying that space. And that yellow area is for levels which are not quite in the ideal or perfect range, but not out of the reference range. The green area, which is to the extreme left, would be the ideal range to have your lactulose percentage recovery found. When someone's lactulose is in the green area, which is the extreme left on the test, that is considered to be ideal. When it moves into the yellow, it's suggestive of some permeability. But when it moves into the red, which is further to the right and above 1.50, that's an amount of lactulose found in your urine which is considered extreme, and that would be considered the classic type of leaky gut. When doing this leaky gut test, the lab provides you with a small vial of lactulose and mannitol, and you drink them prior to recovering your urine for the test. The lab knows how much of these two sugars a normal intestinal tract will absorb, so they're able to then therefore calculate how leaky your gut is based on how much of these you're absorbing. On the mannitol percent recovery, you will again see on the test a red range, a green range, and yellow ranges. The mannitol is a little bit different because with the mannitol, there is more of a left-sided range which is indicating malabsorption. On the right side of the test, you will see the number 27, and then past that point to the right, you'll see the red area, which would be considered an excess amount of absorption of mannitol, and that would be someone who's excessively absorbing larger molecules or particles, which would be extremely bad leaky gut. If you are in the yellow on either side, that would be most definitely better than being in the green, uh, sorry, the red, but being in the green is ideal on the mannitol test as well. 
As you move to the left of the mannitol test, you're looking at degrees of malabsorption. So to the right on the mannitol, we're looking at leaky gut, and to the left, we're looking at malabsorption, which is a, an added feature on the test that you can tell if someone is suffering with malabsorption also from this test. Below that, you see the percentage of lactulose and mannitol as a ratio. And as you move to the right, you'll see the yellow range and then the red range once again. And this, ratio, this uh, level is considered to be uh, acceptable if it's below 0 0.10. 0 0.10 or below is moving to the left of the red range, and that is considered acceptable. There is the yellow range to pass through, which would be considered, let's say, a subclinical form of leaky gut, moving to the green range, which is ideal. So the typical questions that we get are more to deal, dealing with the yellow range. When someone has all their scores in the green range, uh, all three scores, that's a perfect score and there's no trace of leaky gut or malabsorption at that, on that test. When people have some in the yellow and some in the red, there's a mixture of clinical leaky gut and subclinical leaky gut. What I mean by subclinical leaky gut is the person has leaky gut, but not to a point where it might be clinically obvious or clinically displaying symptoms. It also may be uh, that the person ex exhibited symptoms which are on and off or random when you have your levels in the yellow. My position always has been that a person who has all their scores in the yellow has subclinical leaky gut. They most definitely can be exhibiting symptoms of leaky gut, but that type of case will usually heal itself by eliminating the person's candida overgrowth or whatever their dysbiosis is. So regardless of what the mixture of scores are, if they're in the yellow range, that's something we generally don't treat unless the person is highly symptomatic. And the person being symptomatic in that case usually has a very strong dysbiosis case as opposed to just a, a typical or moderate one. The levels being in the red, which is the extreme right, on any three of those parameters or any combination of the three would be considered more clinical parameters and at, those, at that time, we want to treat those parameters. The most common type of leaky gut that we see is where the person's lactulose is in the red range, and it's above 1.5. A less common type is where we see the lactulose and the mannitol both in the red range. That would be the worst, most severe type of leaky gut that someone could have, because here they're absorbing the moderate molecules and the very large ones, or, the, or I should say the larger ones at the same time. Um, having only the mannitol percent elevated is, is even less common than having both the lactulose and the mannitol elevated. But that still does represent a form of leaky gut. As I said early, earlier, having any three of these categories in the red range does implement a, a type of leaky gut. The most common, however, is when the first one, lactulose, is in the red range. The lactulose mannitol ratio being in the red range can indicate a type of leaky gut. It's kind of mimicking the first form of leaky gut where the lactulose percentage would be elevated. 
but it's doing so based on the ratio of lactulose to mannitol. In this case, the person may have not been properly hydrated, so the concentration of the urine may be off, and we're using the ratio of lactulose and mannitol to determine that there is leaky gut because of the lactulose being dominant. So that's another way to catch leaky gut just in case the person's uh, urine sample wasn't properly hydrated and it might have been thrown off due to that uh, lack of proper hydration. So a high lactulose to mannitol ratio, one that's above 0.10, would also imply leaky gut, particularly if the person was very symptomatic of leaky gut. The treatments that are used uh, for these different types of leaky gut are a bit hard to explain because they involve substances which have an ability to repair the intestinal tract in, in different manners. Uh, suffice to say that any treatment for leaky gut will work to the degree that it renews the intestinal tissue and renews the gut lining of the intestines. One of the most important treatments that's found needed in all forms of leaky gut is the use of a mucin supplement. The mucin supplements that are available today are made by only very few companies. Most people don't know what a mucin supplement is or don't know what mucins are at all. Mucins represent your first line of defense in your intestinal tract and with your intestinal barrier. Mucin is very similar to the wax that you put on your wood floor or the wax that you put on your car, which protects the floor or the car from damage, scratching, and, and, and etc. The mucin lining is one of the first linings to be eroded when a person starts to develop a stomach ulcer. So taking a mucin supplement is very helpful in repairing a stomach ulcer. And the mucin lining definitely erodes when the person has candida or bad dysbiosis, which allows the leaky gut process to then begin. So mucins are a first line of defense when you're dealing with treating leaky gut. Butyric acid is another first line defender because the butyric acid is a substance which helps the intestinal cells renew themselves and repair themselves. Butyric acid is typically produced in your intestinal tract by your own normal flora and its interreaction with fiber, the end result of the flora feeding, uh, for lack of a better term, on intestinal fiber or dietary fiber is the butyric acid or the short-chain fatty acids. These fatty acids then help stimulate the repair or the regeneration of your intestinal cells. They also have a natural antifungal action or an antipathogenic action in the intestinal tract. Glutamine has long been discussed as a substance which heals leaky gut because it's been found that as an amino acid, glutamine accelerates the replication of intestinal cells. And uh, you'll find glutamine in many, many formulas that are for leaky gut. The problem with glutamine is that in some cases, it can cause behavioral problems. Um, it can cause symptoms very similar to someone who eats MSG. We all know MSG is the preservative or the food enhancer that's used in Chinese food and other types of fast foods. 
that can often give people headaches and different reactions. Glutamine chemically is similar to MSG, so it, in some people who are sensitive, it causes these bad reactions. In other people, it does not. And there are people who do benefit from taking glutamine substances to help repair their leaky gut. Herbal and anti-inflammatories are typically used in these formulas, um, such as deglycerized licorice and uh, forms of aloe vera, which have a very strong soothing and protective quality to the intestinal cells. There is also an intestinal growth factor that you will find in some leaky gut products. A, a few different companies have patents on this particular substance. Some of them will not reveal at all what it is, and others have revealed what it is. In some cases, it's been revealed to simply be a glandular intestinal product. Much like people take glandular products for their adrenal glands or their liver or their thymus gland or some such thing, you can purchase this type of substance for the intestinal cells. And that usually will be what it is you're purchasing when you see the product says intestinal growth factor. It will have this type of intestinal glandular material that helps the intestinal cells repair themselves and speeds up the repair. Very often you can find that type of product uh, combined with glutamine to make it more effective. Many people take a host of vitamins and minerals and different supplements for the repair of leaky gut. I'm not particularly aware in the literature that there exists any evidence that any of these basic supplements have any dramatic effect on the repair of leaky gut. Um, I've seen in a lot of leaky gut protocols that they contain fish oils and different omega oils, which are generally anti-inflammatory. But as far as do they have any particular effect on the gut lining in particular, can't say that. I've never seen any research to that point. So um, I would not be able to uh, back up these products. There is a particular whitefish protein, which has the trade name of C-Cure, which has definitely been found in studies to help repair leaky gut. It's due to the nature of the protein that's found in this product. The whitefish protein does have a particular affinity for helping the intestinal tract to repair itself. So it is, it is an item that I would say you would definitely put into the leaky gut arsenal and have it be used. Enzymes are often thought of as being important in dealing with leaky gut from the viewpoint that the enzyme helps digest your food better so it's much less likely to cause an allergic reaction in your intestinal tract and then cause more inflammation which leads to more intestinal damage. So virtually any um, food enzyme that you can tolerate is a good idea when dealing with leaky gut for that reason. There is a particular anti-inflammatory product which is made for the gut. Uh, this product is called gastrocort, 
it's made as part of a leaky gut protocol. It contains N-acetylglucosamine. And it also contains glutamine, quercetin, and rutin, which help repair the intestinal lining by reducing inflammation. The glutamine in the product works well to help those cells replicate, as I spoke earlier of glutamine. This is a definitely a different angle in trying to repair the leaky gut than most of the products out there would take because this is more working on the inflammatory aspects of leaky gut and getting the leaky gut to repair itself by reducing the inflammation that the gut is showing. It's quite a different way around dealing with leaky gut. Um, an interesting product called GI Revive um, sort of tries to have everything in there as a one huge multivitamin for leaky gut. This product has L-glutamine, it has the N-acetylglucosamine, it has the deglycerized licorice and the aloe vera concentrate. The deglycerized licorice and the aloe vera concentrate are both being used as anti-inflammatories for the intestinal tract. It has a host of herbs which have long been thought of as being soothing to the GI tract things like slippery elm and marshmallow and okra, etc., which do aid in the healing of the leaky gut. It contains mucin complex, which is interesting because it's, this is one of the rare times I've seen mucin complex uh, in any type of GI formula. It contains MSM, which also has been found to help heal leaky gut as well as dislodge different microbes from the intestinal lining. It contains quercetin, which as a bioflavonoid helps reduce the inflammation that could lead to leaky gut. And it also contains zinc carnosine, which some studies show does help repair intestinal cells. So this product is very useful, providing that the person can tolerate all the ingredients. And here's where we end up with the catch-22 of treating the person with leaky gut. This product that I just went over, made it's made by a company called Designs for Health. We use some of their products at the Biamonte Center. This is called GI Revive. It may be one of the more complete leaky gut products, and I have to commend whoever formulated the product because they certainly have many of the ingredients in there that have been found to heal leaky gut. Problem is that when you're dealing with a leaky gut patient, they're usually highly allergic. And it's very common that they're going to be found to be allergic to a lot of the things you give them. Um, they may be allergic to a lot of the different sources of the vitamins that they're taking. That's why when you start getting into a product which contains a lot of different substances, you could be ending up in trouble because you don't know whether or not the product you're giving the person is going to have something in there that they're not going to uh, react to well. They're going to have an allergic reaction to it. Then they're not going to be able to tolerate it. They can't take it. So your chances of them healing their leaky gut with that product are right out the window. As a general rule, the more um, products you give that are totally germane to treating leaky gut, products like glutamine, like mucins, like the... Um, 
butyric acids, the safer you are. The more you get into different forms of vitamins, like vitamin A, vitamin E, folic acid, zinc, etc., etc., and trying to treat the leaky gut because you're going under the assumption that the gut membrane needs these vitamins or nutrients also to repair itself, which is not incorrect. It's, a, it's an accurate observation. But the problem is when you give them in supplement forms, you don't know whether or not the person has an allergy to the source of the supplement form. So they therefore then don't tolerate it and they become allergic to it. And that's the end of your leaky gut program. So I think the moral of the story is at this juncture, in treating leaky gut, you always want to start with the singular products, which contain only one substance. And then you graduate to some of the more complex substances or formulas as the person shows they can tolerate them. If you don't do that, what you're liable to do is give the person a leaky gut formula which contains so many ingredients that you're increasing the odds that they're going to have a bad reaction or allergic reaction to the product, and then that's going to just kill your leaky gut program. When you're dealing with treating leaky gut, there is a caveat that you must pay attention to. And the caveat is uh, twofold. The first part of the caveat is that you have to make sure that as you're eliminating the leaky gut, you're also eliminating uh, pathogen overgrowth, particularly from yeast and from parasites. Yeast slash fungal parasitic overgrowth has to be addressed and has to be reduced while you're addressing the leaky gut, otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. Many years ago, I wrote in some of the articles that the ideal situation would be to eliminate the leaky gut after you had eliminate the pathogens. If you could eliminate all your pathogens and then address leaky gut singular as its own subject, that would be ideal because the pathogens would be out of the way and you could concentrate on addressing the leaky gut. Well, we, we found out inadvertently as we were doing this that this was not really workable because what we found was that the ability to eliminate pathogens was somewhat dependent on the gut integrity. So if you, took this, if you take this the other way to the other extreme, which we tried, you would then come into the concept of you have to repair the leaky gut before you can get rid of the dysbiosis. We tried that and that didn't work either because the leaky gut wouldn't completely repair itself as long as the dysbiosis was there. We actually found that what was workable was a middle ground. And this is still to this day what we do as standard practice in the, at the Biamonte Center using the Biamonte method. We treat the leaky gut and the dysbiosis simultaneously. And we have found from 20 years of experience that that's the way that works the fastest. If you try to heal the leaky gut first, if you try to get rid of the pathogens first, it doesn't work. It works to a degree and then it stalls. So looking at this, the best way to address this is to be treating the leaky gut and the dysbiosis simultaneously. And in treating the leaky gut, you want to use simple products. You don't want to use a product generally that it would have more than three ingredients. If you're using a product that has more than three ingredients, you had better 
be aware of the patient's probability and reacting to it. And then you're going to have to rescale their entire program. Another second part of this issue is with the putrefaction that can occur in the gut due to undigested proteins or incompletely digested proteins. In the Biomonte urine test, we have a particular test which is called Indican. This is spelled I-N-D-I-C-A-N, Indican. The Indican test is a test that measures intestinal putrefaction. It measures a chemical that's being produced in your intestines called Indol, which is a breakdown of tryptophan metabolism. It's actually, uh, if you wanted to visualize it this way, if you were to let a whole bunch of wild bacteria and pathogens loose in your intestines and let them loose particularly on the amino acid tryptophan, they would break down this tryptophan and putrefy it, and their byproduct would be Indol. Indole is sent to your liver because it's highly toxic and the liver breaks it down into a more, um, let's say a safer substance, a less toxic substance, which is called Indican. Indican is then found in your urine. If you have a high level of Indican showing in your urine test, the leaky gut treatment will not work. Uh, there are a few rules in dealing with the leaky gut treatment that we're outlining here. And this is an important one that's very much overlooked because very rarely does anyone know what their indican level is who's attempting to treat themselves for leaky gut. Uh, for that matter, very rarely does anyone attempting to treat themselves for leaky gut know whether they have leaky gut or not because they usually haven't tested themselves for it either. But uh, assuming someone is being tested correctly and assuming you've tested for leaky gut, you have found you actually have leaky gut, and I, I say that again, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, because I will repeat my, the story many times. Many, many people who are out there right now treating themselves for leaky gut don't have it. They're convinced they have it based on their symptoms. But if they were to actually test themselves, they may find they don't have leaky gut, and they will see and become enlightened as to them having to change their course. Because they're following a course which is based on blogs and information on the internet and not actually a scientific test. However, to get off the soapbox, um, having an elevated indican is definitely something which prevents a leaky gut treatment from working. The uh, amount of putrefaction and toxicity that occurs in an intestinal tract which has high indican production just puts to a complete stop and a halt the mending of the gut or the healing of leaky gut. Having high indican could be a possible signal that someone has leaky gut. Indican is not a leaky gut test, but if you were to statistically measure the amount of people with leaky gut who also have elevated indican, you would find that elevated indican is more likely to, to occur in someone with leaky gut, even though it, there's no assurance that that would be the case. There are many people who have elevated indican who do not have leaky gut. But it's more common to find someone who has leaky gut will also have an elevated indican. Cleaning up the indican has to occur first. If you don't clear up the pathogens that are contributing to the elevated indican, addressing the leaky gut will be a, a complete waste of time. The next issue is probiotics. 
We never put a person on a probiotic program who has leaky gut. A person with leaky gut is apt to become very allergic to probiotics. When you have leaky gut and you take probiotics and you start manifesting all types of allergic reactions, those allergic reactions are actually making your gut worse. As a matter of fact, anyone who has leaky gut, who consumes any food or any substance on a regular basis, which causes allergy reactions, is aggravating their leaky gut as they're doing this. This is why it's essential that a person who has leaky gut have some type of idea as to what allergies they have and they need to follow as best they can a rotation diet to avoid these allergies. They need to avoid probiotics, which could further aggravate their allergies. They need to clean up their endocrine. They need to use leaky gut products to treat the leaky gut, which contain as few ingredients as possible so they don't potentially cause allergic reactions from the very product they're using to kill their leaky gut. So there you have in a sentence or two some of the basic rules of treating leaky gut. Probiotics are only given after the person has recovered from leaky gut. If you give the person who has leaky gut probiotics, they could have very bad allergic reactions. Certainly the probiotics are not going to work in that case because the permeability of the intestinal tract doesn't really provide you with a good foundation for the probiotics to re-inoculate themselves and to cling to the gut lining, which is uh, another reason why this is not going to be a very good format for you to heal in. You have to heal the leaky gut first. And as we said earlier, in healing the leaky gut, you also have to be eliminating the pathogens at the same time. When you do these in tandem, it works better than if you try to do one or the other to a completion. And that's been our experience for 25 years in dealing with patients with leaky gut. So we've gone over the interpretation of the leaky gut based on the numbers on the test. Uh, the lactulose mannitol recovery test is currently being performed by two laboratories. One is Genova Labs and another is Doctor's Data. These are the two labs which perform this test. There is a breath test also available for leaky gut, which we've been looking at from a more uh, investigative standpoint and a research standpoint. It doesn't have the years and years of res empirical results and time behind it that the lactulose mannitol test has. There are blood tests which advertise that they are for leaky gut. And I can tell you right now, this is not true. The blood tests that are being advertised that are for leaky gut at this point in time are blood tests which are concluding that if you have certain allergies, your gut barrier is weak, therefore you have leaky gut. These blood tests do not actually test the barrier itself or tell you anything about how uh, normal your gut barrier is. There is a condition of leaky gut, which I've discussed before on this podcast, which we sometimes refer to as transient leaky gut. Um, you could think of this, as I said earlier, as a person who has 
his leaky gut numbers all in the yellow on this test. The yellow is not ideal. It's indicating subclinical leaky gut. It could also be indicating a transient leaky gut. Leaky gut, which comes on and off. You have it for a while, depending on what you eat, then it goes away and it's gone and then it comes back again. Well, this is what someone who has all his numbers in the yellow could experience. He does not have leaky gut to a clinical degree or a degree that warrants sometimes treating him with the different formulas we talked about today. But he has it to a degree where he will be symptomatic of leaky gut from time to time. And this essentially is what the blood tests that are advertising themselves as being for leaky gut or for the gut barrier actually are, are uh, measuring. They're measuring the amount of intestinal reactions going on, which uh, could be from leaky gut or cause leaky gut. But they're not measuring stably the membrane. They're simply measuring reactions that occur which could be attributed to a leaky gut. Um, when you do this type of test on someone, someone who has candida, who is known to have candida, where the candida has been documented by doing any type of legitimate test, you're going to find this person always is going to come up positive for leaky gut. So here's where statistically and logically you end up having a problem. Um, all patients with candida have intestinal reactions. Intestinal reactions always lead to positive reactions on this test. But when you look at this test versus the lactulose mannitol test, which is actually measuring how permeable or how resistant the gut barrier is, you'll find a huge discrepancy. You're going to find that not everyone has leaky gut. And this is because we're talking about a true, the true type of leaky gut here is where the intestinal barrier is actually compromised to the point that you can prove it by showing that a person absorbs molecules that they shouldn't be absorbing in large amounts. And that's, that's the essential of the lactulose mannitol recovery test, or what we'll call the traditional leaky gut test. When you look at the blood tests that are out there that are saying that they're for leaky gut, what they're actually doing is they're implying that you have leaky gut because re gut reactions are occurring, but they're not measuring the quality of the gut membrane. So according to this type of test, everybody who does it will have leaky gut because they're all having intestinal reactions. But keep in mind that this is a test which is only telling you about transient reactions that you're having. Um, if you have a person take this type of blood test and then also take the traditional uh, lactulose mannitol leaky gut test, as I've done many times, what you're going to find is that these people who have leaky gut according to the blood test are actually going to show their lactulose mannitol scores in the yellow area of the, of the traditional leaky gut test. So this does... Um, actually line up and make a lot of sense based on the interpretation I'm giving you today. Uh, I said earlier that people who had their parameters in the yellow have a transient form of leaky gut, which can come on and off. It's subclinical. It's not measuring real permeability in the gut. It's measure, measuring a tendency towards permeability or a tendency towards permeability at times, perme permeable reactions at times. 
And this is what the, the blood tests essentially are saying. So when you have a person who has his parameters in the yellow, you could assume that he's going to have these transient forms of leaky gut. They may, he may have it for as long as he's eating something that he's reactive to, and then when he stops eating that, the reaction may go away. This is why it's not always necessary to do the blood tests uh, that are being advertised for leaky gut or where they're, they're somewhat um, luring you into, into believing this is for leaky gut. Because when you actually do the tests, they're really uh, showing you allergic reactions. It is important to do allergy testing, uh, particularly a legitimate type like the ALCAT test, if you have leaky gut. Because you don't want to eat foods that you're allergic to that will continually set off intestinal inflammation and worsen your leaky gut. This is where I would agree with doing these types of blood tests. The blood tests that are allegedly for leaky gut will tell you what type of foods you're allergic to. And in doing that, they're going to be telling you what type of foods or what foods you should avoid because these are foods which are going to aggravate your leaky gut. And that's one of the areas of treating leaky gut, which sometimes gets overlooked. Sometimes practitioners, including myself, have um, gotten more involved in eliminating the person's dysbiosis, giving them various leaky gut products, uh, making sure they weren't taking supplements like probiotics that would worsen their leaky gut, making sure they were avoiding ferment, fermented food, f fermented and raw foods, are foods which in a person who has severe leaky gut can really aggravate the leaky gut. So we could be paying attention to all of these things, but then we may be omitting the fact of making sure the person is on a diet in which they're not consuming foods that they've been found to be allergic to through the testing. And that could be a big mistake because when they consume those foods, it's constantly aggravating their leaky gut. So a good allergy test, food allergy test, would be considered part of treating leaky gut. The food allergy test that I prefer is the ALCAT test. And, but any, if, if whoever has a preference, as long as it's a legitimate allergy test, that's fine. You, you uh, want to make that part of your program. You want to make sure the person is not continually ingesting foods they're allergic to which are going to worsen and even set off the leaky gut condition. So again, to recap, we've gone over the interpretation of all the numbers on the leaky gut test, and we have various rules when dealing with leaky gut. First rule is when you're treating it, you want to use very simple supplements to treat leaky gut. The more you get involved with large formulas, the more the possibility the person will react allergically to his leaky, to his leaky gut treatment. Avoid probiotics. Make sure you're on a program to also get rid of your dysbiosis. Do an endocrine test. Make sure you don't try to treat leaky gut if you have elevated endocrine. Avoid fermented foods and raw foods if you're found to have severe leaky gut. These are some of the guidelines to make a leaky gut test or uh, program successful, but above all of them, the most important one is make sure you test for leaky gut so that you know you're actually treating something that you have. To treat for leaky gut for many years, 
only to find out by doing a test that you don't have it, is a demoralizing thing. Because you've wasted your time and your intellect in chasing something that doesn't exist. So I encourage everyone to do a leaky gut test to make sure that you have leaky gut. If anyone out there would like some help in being able to do an actual leaky gut test, which we refer to as the lactulose mannitol recovery test, just contact, contact my office, contact me by email, on Facebook, on Twitter, and I will lead you into the direction of actually being able to do the test so that you know you're treating yourself for a condition which you actually have. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. We will speak again on Thursday for another edition of the Candida Chronicles. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212 587 2330.